Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Jonah and the Whale is one of the most beloved Bible stories of all time. And why not? It has all the trappings of excitement and adventure, a sea voyage with a terrible storm, a runaway passenger who's being chased by his God across the waves, his daring self-sacrifice as he tells the sailors to toss him into the sea, and his miraculous rescue by a really big fish that delivers him safely back to shore, albeit via his digestive tract, So he can carry God's message to the people of Nineveh, his own country's sworn enemy. And beyond the excitement and adventure, it carries a really great moral message, right? Obey God, even if he asks you to do something really hard. And if you don't obey the first time, he'll give you a second chance to repent and obey him the next time. This is what so many of us heard from this story growing up as kids. The perfect Sunday school lesson in a nutshell, prepackaged and ready to go. The problem is, the book of Jonah in the Old Testament doesn't end with Jonah marching off to Nineveh ready to deliver God's message. It ends with the passage we just heard read, where Jonah goes off to sulk, because God decides to relent from punishing Nineveh and where he gets mad because a little worm eats the bush that was keeping the sun off of his head while he waited for the barrage of fire and brimstone on Nineveh that never came. But really, when you think about it, you can see why writers of children's books and Sunday school curriculum tend to stop with Jonah arriving at Nineveh. We have the hero we so desperately want as humans. And even better, he's not a perfect hero. He's flawed. So we can both talk with children about what happens when we mess up and disobey God, and we still get to have a hero who delivers God's message to his enemies, the Ninevites. And there is nothing wrong with a message of repentance and obedience. But there is something wrong with making a human the hero of a Bible story. Jonah and the whale ends with Jonah at his best, humble, repentant, and obedient, with God kind of in the background, simply providing the miraculous fish so that Jonah would have the chance to repent in the first place. But another telling of the story, one entitled perhaps Jonah and the Worm, ends with a very different picture, one where Jonah doesn't look so great and God looks incredibly merciful and forgiving. This picture is harder to swallow because it shows us our human tendency towards imperfect repentance, which isn't easy to face. Jonah's problem from the very beginning is that he is incredibly perceptive. He gets it. He knows who God is, a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger 
and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. So normally when we hear these words, they're used in songs of praise and prayers of adoration. But here in Jonah's mouth, they're almost an accusation. I knew you were going to forgive Nineveh, he says. That's why I ran away in the first place. And Jonah's hatred of the Ninevites is not without reason. Nineveh was the capital of the burgeoning, oppressive Assyrian Empire, which raised the cities of its enemies to the ground and swapped around the defeated peoples, deporting large groups from one country to another so that those it had conquered would be in a foreign land and have less motivation and opportunity to rebel later. Jonah sees what the Assyrians have done to neighboring countries, and he's worried about what they will do to the Israelites. In his mind, they're evil, so they ought to be destroyed. And if God doesn't get rid of them now, it's ultimately going to mean Israel's downfall. Jonah does not trust that their repentance will last. And the thing is, he's right. Nineveh repents, God relents, and decades later, the Assyrians come through and completely destroy the nation of Israel. This was the chance for Nineveh, for Nineveh to be taken care of, and God completely messed it up. Jonah sees something about the human heart here. He sees that Nineveh really does deserve destruction. He sees that their repentance will be short-lived. He also sees something about the heart of God, how God abounds in mercy and desires to forgive, and that God will forgive despite the imperfection of the Ninevites' repentance. And Jonah intuitively knows what will happen when Nineveh's short-lived repentance and God's abundant mercy collide the destruction of his own people, the Israelites. But this is where Jonah's perceptiveness ends. Because he cannot see in himself the exact same thing that he judges so harshly in the Ninevites. This is where the story of Jonah and the whale falls short. Because in that telling, Jonah repents and obeys God, but with the story of Jonah and the worm, we see how little actually changed in Jonah's heart while he was in the whale. Yes, he went and obeyed God according to the strictest letter of the command, but his heart wasn't in his preaching. He didn't actually want the Ninevites to listen to his message, not even a little bit. And when he finished preaching, he marched out to the desert to sit and wait for God to destroy them. He had done his duty, but his heart was all wrong. And we don't really see that change. There's no point at the end of the book where Jonah all of a sudden praises God for his mercy towards himself or towards the Ninevites. There's no human hero left for us at the end because Jonah's repentance was also imperfect.
Instead, the book of Jonah ends with God's care for the great city of Nineveh. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? When God looks at them, he does not linger over what their repentance is lacking. He gazes at a microcosm of his creation, one city bustling with people and agriculture and industry, and he says, shouldn't I take care of these too? He looks for any reason whatsoever to forgive. And in the same way, when God looks at Jonah floundering in the waves, he does not linger over what his unrepentant heart is lacking. But he sees his servant, a prophet who needs to be rescued, and finds a reason to forgive him and rescue him. In both of their cases, God's abundant mercy collided with their imperfectly repentant hearts, regardless of the consequences. And if this is true for Jonah and the Ninevites, how much more true is it for us? Each one of us, you, me, everyone here, has that same imperfectly repentant heart. It shows up when we ask forgiveness for the same sin over and over again, for the anxiety that never seems to go away, for the short temper when once again we didn't get enough sleep, for our inability to trust God's promises no matter how often we read them. It shows up in me when I stand at the altar and say, let us confess our sins to Almighty God and then in the moment of silence that follows, struggle to focus on confessing my own sin because I'm thinking about the whole service and what part is coming next. These are the daily moments when we are like Jonah and the Ninevites. But when God looks at us, his gaze doesn't linger over our imperfect repentance. In fact, he doesn't see it at all. Instead, he sees Jesus on the cross and Jesus rising again. He sees all the perfection of his son whose heart has never repented of anything because he has never done anything that needed repentance. Instead of what we have done and will do, God sees what his son has done for us. It is through this lens that he sees us, and that is why he promises us that his abundant mercy will continue to collide with our imperfectly repentant hearts over and over again. Whether we are the ones doing the oppressing, or the ones resenting the oppressor, or the ones running like the wind from what God has called us to, his mercy and his forgiveness will find us. And this doesn't always make sense to us because between humans, forgiveness and imperfect repentance sometimes look different. God calls us always to forgive each other, 
but sometimes if we know someone hasn't really repented, we have to put up boundaries in that relationship to protect ourselves from being hurt again. But it's different with God. He continues to forgive us because his forgiving and merciful nature cannot abide the consequences of not forgiving us. He cannot abide the separation from us, the damnation of us that comes if his forgiveness stops. And because he is infinite, his mercy is big enough for all of our imperfect repentance all the time. Like with Jonah and the Ninevites, God looks for any reason to have mercy on us. And Jesus, in his crucifixion and resurrection, gives God the perfect reason to forgive each one of us. So, in a few moments, as we confess our sins to Almighty God and listen to the words of absolution, we do so with confidence that God's mercy and forgiveness faithfully cover over all the imperfections in our repentance. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.